Oh yeah, today is November the 5th, Wednesday, 2008. The title of our message is Frustration. I'm sure I don't have to ask for a show of hands, but who has ever been frustrated? Steve is right now. <laughs> <laughs> so frustration um, originates at a certain age, right? No. It starts from birth and then just progresses on. Uh, happening to you while concurrently affecting others with frustration as well. We learn that from having a newborn. All right. Chapter 3. Verse 17. Wow. That's why I'm right-handed. You know, when pages stick together in your Bible, it means you haven't been there in a little while. (laughs) But these are stuck together because of ink. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 17. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the... Say it one more time. The cursed is the ground because of you because of you no other reason but you through what's the next word painful Painful toil through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. I mean, far surpassing the number of fingers on your hands, you've heard this story, right? Heard it over and over again, what have you. Bring back more back down into to real life. When you read this story and you say, okay, because we're all product of Adam, how does that affect my daily life, what I do now? Are, is any of my farmers in here? No. no. We go to the grocery store, we buy our groceries and whatever. Uh, so we don't really work the soil. I mean, for thousands of years, I mean, from, obviously from Adam on, until now, you still have people that farm their own individual plots to sustain life. It's not just a luxury or Papa's got a garden in the back. This is to sustain life. We saw a lot of this in Matamoros. So it's from their painful toil and their sweat that they have their food to eat. But you ever seen some of those uh, History Channel documentaries on technology? And you kind of laugh at it as you watch it. It shows the wife, you know, she's got a robot in her kitchen, and it's fixing dinner, it's mopping, it's cleaning. And we kind of snicker because we, we understand the intent of where they were going with their projection of technology. But standing in the reality of it, you know, it's not so much of a a perfect world scenario. You know, the robot didn't break. It didn't have a blue screen error or, you know, a lightning strike hit and it fried the motherboard of the microwave there. One thing that I began to read about in this scripture that takes it beyond just the obvious realm of farming is that everything who we are, we have, that we touch, that we make, comes from what? comes from the ground. Where do you find silicon? The earth. the earth. Where do you find copper? Where do you find oil? 
Very few times does, does something does, does something just come from outer space, <laughs> land on Earth, and say, "Wow, this is a new element on the periodic table in such mass quantities that we can manufacture something new, and it won't break." Everything that we touch breaks. And it all goes back to this one central verse here. Imagine the Garden of Eden, right? <laughs> you have Adam and Eve set up to rule and reign over the creation. Their job was to just maintain what's there, to be good stewards of it. They would harvest. They would manage the animals, take care of them, what have you. But one thing that you did not have, obviously you didn't have death. That was a result of Adam's sin. But what you didn't have is the pestilence. You didn't have the frustration. The, I guess the embodiment of this entire message came about because, as everybody knows, I've been re-roofing my house. Now, if you've ever been involved in any kind of home improvement project, it's kind of like you sit down and you watch the home improvement show, right? In 30 minutes, they just remodeled their entire kitchen. <laughs> and good Lord, you expect it to go the same way in your own life. You look at it and you have a projected view of, I think this is what it's going to be like. But when you rip out that gas stove, it's not the same. It's going to take $400 more and 12 more hours to get this done. Everything is always uh, an underlying frustration waiting to be discovered. Well, as I began my roofing project, you know, obviously for financial reasons, I wanted to do it myself. But also, I feel like roofing... Welding and possibly plumbing are kind of the last ventures into, uh, I guess, working with my hands that, that I haven't discovered yet. So I said, okay, finally, I have the money, I have the opportunity, let me re-roof my house. I heard how everybody said it's horrible, they hated it, but you know what, it's in November, it's October, November, so you know it's not going to be too bad. I'm stepping back, looking at my, from my house from my driveway, saying, oh yeah, man, we just do this, do this, do this, do this. The one thing I miss that's crucial is how long it takes me and my big self to get up and down a 28-foot ladder. <laughs> Looking up there, guess what? My eyes and my vision are on the roof. So I imagine everything else is with me on the roof. My work platform that I typically work on is flat. It's level. Nothing slides. Nothing blows away in the wind, you know, per se. When you're on a roof, you're at a steep angle. Nothing sits straight. <laughs> Everything slides off, possibly including you. Uh, for the words, the words uh, from the wise to everyone else, when you do a roof, please, please, please buy a brand new pair of tennis shoes. Cheap, 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 the better. The more foamy, the better. I can't tell you, the other day when we worked on the roof with you guys, I had an old pair of tennis shoes from when we first got married. Went to Disney World. I bought one. So it's at least 10 years old. Yeah, they still fit. My jeans don't, but my shoes sure do. I'm wearing the same shoes I did in kindergarten. The soles of those things were just so worn out. They didn't have any grip. Plus, they weren't the right type. They were real hard rubber. So I'm trying to walk on this, this grit. And all the grit from my, my roofing had, had come off. And I'm waiting for any minute to make a crater in my front or backyard. And just thinking, oh, I hope, hope Affleck comes through. I hope Affleck comes through. <laughs> but the minute I went out and bought the right tool for the right job, ah, oh, that made sense. But do you know how much time that cost me? And that put me back at least a full day because Matt 
would walk on the roof like this <laughs> instead of taking normal steps. Or you should see my jeans. I mean, I have now like nine or six or nine to ten pockets as opposed to just two or places for screwdrivers, holes to stick in. Because Gabe called me and said, dude, do you realize how sore my legs are? And I said, yeah, oh, yeah. He said, are yours? I said, no. Now I realized I sat down everywhere that I went. I didn't walk anywhere. Long story short, uh, looking at a, a, a project, something I'm trying to build, something I'm, try, something I'm trying to restore, literally within the creation, I'm working with objects that come from the ground, I'm finding this frustration over and over and over again. You guys, I mean, you, you can clean house, you can do whatever. I sat there, and I have to cut these uh, shingles. And they have like a, say, A side and a B side. You have to cut the B. Well, I got through cutting a hundred of them, got up on the roof and realized I cut the A side and not the B side. And it literally seemed like I had the Midas touch for things going wrong. Everything I put my hands to was cursed. It felt frustrated. And y'all never been there, right? No. Cursed is the ground because of you. Anybody know what Adam's name transliterates to? What it actually means? It means red. It means earthy. So when I began to read this verse after in light of things today, uh, not necessarily a tan and being red. I don't get red. I get brown. But when I began to read this, I, I, instead of seeing it as just the literal ground, as an agricultural base, let's look at it in the light of who Adam directly is. So cursed is Adam because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life, meaning that you will eat of the produce of your own hands. It will produce thorns, and thistles for you. The objects of your hands, your own strength, will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your own food until you, ground, Adam, return to the ground, Adam. That, that, little, word, that little word ground is Adamah. Just say A-H after the word Adam. All right, skip over to chapter 5, verse 29. While you're there, let me read uh, just a Webster's kind of definition of frustration. Oh, real quick, one another thing I realized. <laughs> the Garden of Eden, before the fall... Um, was such a an easy task. It was just Adam and Eve. They didn't have any kids there. <laughs> kids would, you know, make a mess, pull all the fruit out the vine before it's supposed to be ripened, <laughs> throw stuff in the stream, just mess everything up. All right, frustration. The feeling that accompanies an experience of being thwarted in attaining your, your goals, an act of hindering someone's plans or efforts, a feeling, here's, here's the one when it comes into other people, including kids. A feeling of annoyance at being hindered or criticized. For instance, her constant complaints were the main source of his frustration. <laughs> they said this, not me. 
So that means in the garden there was no... The act of frustrating disappointment, defeat, as the frustration of one's designs. The whole reason that God made this statement to man, to Adam, was because he chose to know good and evil, or from evil, his own way. He chose for himself to be like God and know good from evil. And the direct product was this frustration. Now, in a way, it is death. It's not necessarily death to the physical body of Adam, though that's, that was included. That's the ultimate. But what it was, it was death of productivity. Before, you see Adam right there. Imagine every single animal coming in front of you and God gifting you to give it a name based on its function. Man, we can barely find a professor that can study one or two microcosms enough to find out first its function and then give it a name based on a, a Latin uh, structure. But he was gifted by God to, to manage and orchestrate the creation. And you guys have seen Blue Planet, right? Just, it's not just the high def, but what they're able to do with the high def is slow things down enough so that our minds can grab frame by frame what is functioning within the creation. That just hits a certain nerve with every single person on the planet. But what begins to happen is that whenever we start putting our own ideas and designs into God's purpose for our life, guess what? You're going to produce thorns. You're going to produce thistles. You're going to produce frustration. You'll find it. But there's hope. Everybody still in chapter 4? I'm sorry, 5? All right. Verse 29. Uh, 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil. Does that sound familiar? Of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Now, I mean... I've read this a million times. I always knew that Noah, his name means comforter. He was being sent to comfort. But I, I just, I didn't put one and one together. The whole reason he was sent was to counterbalance the curse that had originally come. He was sent to bring hope, to bring restoration to a frust- frustrated creation. So it's not as if God just said, Adam and Eve, you messed up. Get out of here. I'm going to put an angel at the gate. Never come back. You know what? You're cursed. You're frustrated. Everything you do is going to fail. That part honestly was true, but he went a step further. And he said, I'm going to give you hope for restoration. In the long term, in our own lives, that's exactly what Jesus is for us. You, de- you reap the consequences of your own sin. You have to. His mercy is, or his extreme grace and mercy is, are the time when you don't fully reap what you sow. But still, regardless, there is a hope to cling to. Let's go back to chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 4. Once again, make sure I get this right, an infamous story between Cain and Abel, right? Cain is bad, Abel is good. What, What really made them 
favorable and unfavorable in God's sight. It was the, their offering. Short, in short, Cain brought the produce of his field as an offering to the Lord. Abel brought the fat portions from his livestock and offered it before the Lord. Now, there, man, this thing is about a mile, mile deep in shadows and types and forecasting who Jesus is, you know, the, the seed to come. But stepping back and just seeing the big picture of it, was it really that God didn't like avocados and oranges and just wanted fat portions instead? Or was it the intent of the sacrifice? Was it how was Cain's demeanor and heart in bringing this sacrifice to God? Let's read a little bit about it. Uh, verse two and a half. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Let me stop right there. Both are involved with working with the ground, right? Right? Okay, I'm not crazy. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from the same of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Hmm. So, what was Cain's response? Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. If ever you want to test somebody's heart, reject their gift. Now, sure, it's going to hurt their feelings, but if you really want to see, what is your intent for bringing this? Why are you doing this good deed for me? You ever had somebody in your life that says, Hey, I want to come clean your house. I want to bless you. And you just, I mean, things don't work out. And you say, No, I'm really sorry. I don't, you know, we're not going to be home or I'm not going to be able to at this time. And you feel them pushing a little more and more. No, let, let, I want to do this for you. I want to do this for you. And it comes almost to the point where you begin to feel like they're not really wanting to serve you. They are serving themselves by doing a kind act to you. And then when you begin to shove them more and more away, no, I, I just really, that doesn't fit within the arch, architecture of my day. That, that really doesn't bless me. They become more angry and angry, and then within a split second, they lose their temper. They become angry at you and begin to now, I mean, in a split of a second, start saying hurtful things towards you. Because you won't let them serve you? God's the same way. How many times have you brought an offering to Jesus, but you wanted to do it your way? It was coming to him with frustration. Abel had flocks. Cain had the soil. Both of them dealt with frustrating circumstances. Differently in nature, but the same thing. I can guarantee you, Abel brought his with gladness and with joy and with a pure heart. He was able to set aside his frustration. Cain was begrudgingly giving of his of his offering to Jesus. I mean, uh, of, of to God. Let's bring it on down home where we're at right now. Because right now we're just talking about sheep and apples. Worship. And I, I mean, this is just, I'm sorry, this is just the platform that I'm used to. If I walk through those doors, 
and I'm coming up here upset because there's some place I really want to be elsewhere. There's a game on, LSU game on Saturday night. And I've been, you know, saving up and spending all kind of money getting ready for it, and all of a sudden we want to do a special service. And I get up here, and I try to sing a sacrifice of praise to my king, but do it begrudgingly. Do you think that really blesses him? No. If you go to try and do a kind act of service for somebody, very easily go to Walmart and spend 100 bucks on groceries to secretly bless somebody with. But the whole time you're putting stuff in your basket, you're murmuring about it. God, they would just get their bills straight, blah, 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 throwing stuff in your cart. You go and you do the act. You go through the motions. Do you think that's really credit to your account? No. That's the difference between Cain and Abel. It wasn't the exact nature of what they did. It was the heart they did it with. Now, let's read a little bit further on. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? From that one statement, I can assume, obviously, Cain did not do what is right. Snapshot just into some other background things about this. When mankind ate from the knowledge of good and evil, he now had the ability to determine what was right and what was wrong. So it doesn't list the specifics of what did God request them to bring. Did, did he request the fat or what? seems to mean that Cain really didn't pay attention. Either he knew what to do was right and he chose to do his own way. Not either, but that's what it was. Because God said, if you had done what's right, you would find my favor. So what would be your natural response according to the word? What would you do? You would test you by. You would repent. Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I, I got caught up in my own way. I repent. But no. Let's read about what happened. It, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. I'm sure it wasn't to play, you know, hopscotch. Everybody knows the end of that story. Let's skip over to Mark. Chapter 6. Doing good. i got ten minutes. I can hear the children. Mark chapter 6. Now, this story is also documented in John and in Matthew. Mark is more the concise it's kind of funny when you compare uh, synoptic portions of the Gospels. One is very concise about a, a subject, and another is very elaborate. And you're going, man, you just missed something huge, you know? Jesus raised somebody from the dead. <laughs> and another author just skipped right over it. But uh, chapter 6, verse 48 is where we want to go right now. Actually, let's start at 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida, 
while he dismissed the crowd. And, that, and real quick, that crowd was the 5,000. This was the first feeding of the multitudes. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. I don't know if anybody's ever rowed a canoe or whatever, but that's painful toil. Because the wind was against them, about the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. That's a very key scripture. He went out. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. One of the things I I passed up earlier on is that uh, a derivative or a conjugate of toil uh, Painful toil is worrisomeness, labor, or pain. That this particular Hebrew word mentioned in 3:17 is also uh, used about woman's childbirth when God spoke to Eve right prior to that, and also later on, I think in uh, 5:29 where we read uh, earlier, how Noah would comfort, bring comfort because of the painful toil. That's the only three times this particular Hebrew word was used. So, but the key on this is worrisomeness, fear, is part of this toil. How many times have you worried yourself sick about something that later on physically you are sore, you are drained? And uniquely enough, he spoke to the woman about this toil because it involved childbirth. I think it can also include child rearing. But to the man, he spoke about it about his productivity. Heart disease, cancer, a lot of things are much higher risk when a man lives in stress. To say a man worries almost you know, makes him effeminate. So the proper term these days is man is overstressed. <laughs> if you had an anxiety attack, I mean, you know, that's a whole different ballgame too. But literally, that's what the word at uh, Genesis 3.17 was talking about. It's this painful Stress that eats you alive on the inside. That you, we constantly as men have to throw off. We throw off stress. Women have to throw off fear and worry. And a lot of times you will find yourself in pursuit of doing God's will, just like the disciples were trying to row across to the other side, because that's exactly what Jesus told them to do. While he stayed back, they didn't feel his presence. When they began to see his presence, they thought it was a ghost, and they were terrified. But how many times have you found yourself out in the middle of a situation doing God's will, and you feel straining at the oars? Worry has consumed you. Fear has consumed you. You've taken your eyes off the prize. This is the instance in other Gospels. I think it's John. He lays a detailed account of when Peter sees Jesus, Ask for permission to come to him. Jesus says yes. Everybody knows the rest. He jumps out of the boat, runs to him, you know, about three quarters of the way there, gets fearful, falling under that painful toil, curse again, starts to drown. Jesus picks him back up. They get in the boat, and immediately they're on to the other side. And, uh, you know, 
they just got through seeing him feed 5,000 people. They go through this process. He gets in the boat, goes to the other side, and it's like they're, they're just not getting it. And hey, I can throw stones all we want at the disciples and call them, you know, deaf, dumb, and blind when it comes to spiritual perceptiveness, but what if somebody wrote a book about you and your life and documented in detail all your faults and, and accomplishments? Then afterwards, you know, you have the Syrophoenician woman who, you know, begs for uh, Jesus to heal a demon-possessed daughter of hers. And that's when he goes through the whole thing. Why give the bread and the children to the dogs? And she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the, the children's table. And I think it's in Matthew's when he says he was surprised by her faith. What, God, what God's been looking for since day one going forward is not just faith, but it's, what's another word for it? Tell me. Trust. Say it again. Trust. Do you really trust them if you don't go through getting to the middle of that lake? What What is a byproduct of your trust or must accompany your trust? Starts with an A. Action. All right. Let's keep reading in verse, I think we're almost there. 48, we'll start back there again. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them about the fourth watch of night. And, uh, but when they saw him walking the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him terrified. Oh, I'm sorry, I read that. They were completely amazed. That's verse 51. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. You know, I sat there and read that for a while. I was like, wait a minute, their hearts were hardened because they didn't understand about the loaves. Imagining, if you make a compare, I mean, they don't have to make a comparison. It's right there. Right out in downtown Houston, you know, you're walking with a guy who's calling himself the Messiah. He basically takes a basket full of food and feeds 5,000 people. 5,000. Immediately, when it's done, sends you away, and you're out in the middle of a lake straining at the oars, and he comes, rescues you, gets to the other side, and you're like, whoa, I can't believe you did that. It's like, guys, I just fed 5,000 people. What do you mean you can't believe I didn't do I, I did this? That I just, the, the magnitude of both is, is drastic. Then later on, he feeds another uh, 4,000. They just you know, weren't getting it. But if you look in New Unger's Bible Dictionary at the word toil, one of the derivatives of it, it's an archaic way of saying put to the touchstone. This was an old way of determining the quality of gold. What they would do, someone would be in, in or gold rush days in the Yukon or in California, they would bring in nuggets of gold. And they would have, I think it was either porcelain or some kind of stone. It's called a touchstone. And depending on when they struck the gold against the stone, they could see the amount of impurities. Just It's a rough estimate before they boiled it down. But they could see the impurities in the gold based on the size and width and all that stuff. It was, it was a true art that a goldsmith knew about. Taking that principle, applying it to disciples straining at the oars or being put to the touchstone, Jesus left them alone because he wanted to find out what was really in their heart. If everything is going beautiful for you, you don't have any frustration in your life, 
how are you, is God going to be able to, do, to know if you really trust Him? If there's no stress, if there's no anxiety, no, let me simply say this, no potential for stress, no potential for anxiety. How is God going to know if you're really going to trust Him when it counts? Everybody's a superstar in practice. It's only on Friday or Saturday or Sunday when, when it's game time, the lights come on, and you have somebody charging at you about to knock your head off. What are you going to do when faced with real danger? Let's go uh, to First Peter. Now, granted, this is only 30 minutes. It seems like, you know, I got the whole message together. I'm speaking from years of experience. Guys, it took me four or five hours to get this concept to finally sink through my brain. Jesus literally had to keep reminding me, stop being so frustrated. Stop. Do this. And the whole time I'm thinking, Jesus, what am I going to preach about tonight? (laughs) Oh, you're still so dull. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, let me just clear something up. Shielded by His power does not mean you're exempt from suffering or frustration. Read the next verse. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come. So if you had an equation you're building here, Sufferings plus your life equal. These have come so that your faith, which is greater worth than gold, and perishes even there, may be proved genuine. It's about put to the touchstone. This is the principle. May be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So, the ultimate question everybody's asked, everybody asks, why do bad things happen to good people? Or within us, why do we have to suffer? Why do we experience frustrating events? If we're doing something, especially when you're doing something for Jesus, I'm straining at everything I got to do the best I can to, to follow him, and it's not working out. It's not going like I think it is. What, one of the thoughts that immediately pops into your mind is, what am I doing wrong? Sometimes nothing. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to. That song that we sang tonight, Empty Me, perfect. A lot of times I figure Jesus makes me frustrated and have to give everything I got to strain at the oars because he's got to get rid of all of me. By the time I'm frustrated, I give up. Literally, I just say, I give up. I quit. That's what I did today. I'm not going to roof anymore. I'm just going to you know, go in my little man cave and pout. I begin to feel his peace. I begin to feel like my brain can
came back into my head and I could think again. Because literally it was like a cloud was on me. I couldn't think straight because I was too stressed. I was using my force, my hands. And I'm telling you, as I was cutting that one shingle on the A side instead of the B, I just I felt like I should stop. Just stop. Stop. Don't look at what you're doing. But no, Matt's going to charge ahead. I'm going to finish this project. I've got to go. If I just would have listened, you know, things would have been prosperous and blessed. So everybody stand on your feet.